second speaker, would you welcome Donnie Moore as he comes this morning? What a thrill it is to be back. It's always fun to be back here. We had a busy last year doing schools, uh, some 100, and I think it was 54,000 teenagers in the public schools. We made it, uh, of course, the Oakland A's to the playoffs. I mean, you saw Detroit took us out again. I knew I should have listened to God when he told me to poison, when I was in a locker room, uh, Verlander's food so he couldn't pitch it. No, I, I'm only kidding. But anyway, they beat us, and... Um, we, we had a tremendous year, though, a lot of growth and a lot of guys uh, coming to the Lord on our team, and I'm excited Monday night to watch Florida State. I was back. I got to do a motivational talk with them. Matter of fact, I could show about 54 seconds of that tonight um, of my talk with Florida State. It was really cool, and um, they're playing Auburn for the national championship on Monday night, and then uh, the Lord just really, really allowed us to see some pretty cool things happen. And one of them was when I got to come back and speak at the graduation here. It was really, really cool. And also, I brought a jersey. Check this out. I'm going to give it to the Horizon. Um, I had some 16 guys uh, sign it uh, from the uh, Texas Rangers. And they um, signed this jersey, and they put on their, uh, I think it was Lance Berkman there, who just a strong guy. He just put uh, to Horizon. God is not looking for stars, but he's looking for servants. And, um, I mean, uh, Kinsler's on there. Everybody, uh, it's pretty cool. It's really cool. So um, we're going to give that to them. The, uh, the other thing I want to share with you is that um, God has, is it's unique to me how he is able to open doors. And only he can do what he's doing. We were scheduled to go to Merced and we had an incredible outreach there in schools because they, they allowed us to mostly do junior hires. And we, we did the junior hire, and, and it was really cool because so many junior hires brought their parents to the night meeting. But Antioch was a little different. Antioch is a tougher area, and there's one principal in particular. He gave us a lunchtime assembly. So on Monday, uh, we were going to be at the junior high, Antioch High School, and then Deer Valley. Deer Valley is one of the prestige schools there in California. Well, what had happened, two kids were racing uh, and went off the road and hit a tree. One of them was a football player, went through the windshield. He died. The other boy was in critical shape. Uh, so we did the junior high Monday, and the principal uh, of the school said, no way, Radical Reality can come to Deer Valley only at lunchtime. So if anybody knows anything about doing lunchtime assembly, I mean, it's very difficult because you've you got to be in the open air and the kids are eating bologna sandwiches, and it's kind of hanging around, and you try to get them up there by doing the feats of strength. We're going to blow up hot water bottles, rip phone books to get them up there. But Darwin's story is so emotional. And Darwin will be here, by the way. He's coming in tomorrow. And his story about overcoming addiction, his daughter dying in his arm, I just didn't want to do it at lunchtime because it, it, it takes a lot out of him. And his kids out there, like I said, just kind of not paying attention. You can't say, hey, you need to listen. It's their lunchtime. So I really wanted to do the assembly inside, but the principal, and this guy was, was I mean, he was anti-God and anti-anything that, that, that we wanted to happen. So he just threw the, literally the pastor a bone and gave us a lunchtime. So we did the Monday assembly at the junior high, and the guy was really moved. So I said, hey, you know the principal over at Deer Valley? He said, yeah, Donnie, over the weekend there was a tragedy, two boys, automobile accident. I said, Wow. So he called over and said, hey, these guys, you need to see them. They really have something. 
And the principal just goes, well, can they do a grief assembly? And the guy goes, can you do a grief assembly? I said, oh, yeah, I can. Grief assembly, that's one of my top. I don't even, a grief assembly? I, I didn't know what it meant. I, but I can do one. I'm ready to do my grief assembly. So actually, I called Denny Duran. I called back there, and they have one of the top grief guys in the country. And so I took a license plate and wrote the notes uh, on the license plate. And, uh, and so we, we uh, got a mandatory assembly. And uh, I, I want you guys to see, did they get the slide up? Uh, 3,500 students at Deer Valley. And um, the principal allowed me to invite the students at that high school to the night meeting. Of course, like Stan said, we couldn't preach Jesus. But um, the principal that was really mean, uh, he walked over to me at the end of the assembly. He said, uh, he's going to talk uh, uh, at uh, Antioch High School. I said, yeah. He said, um, yeah, I might come to the night meeting. And I looked at him and I said, I'd love for you to come to the night meeting. I said, you know, we talk more about God. And he looked at me and he smiled and he goes, yeah. He said, I know who you are, Donnie. And I said, really? He goes, yeah, I know who you are. And then he looked at me and he said this. He goes, I think today you kind of changed my definition of Christianity. And so we got to have the night meeting. We got to be in the school. And God just worked a miracle, and I got the love on that principle. You just never know what's going to happen in a school assembly. I know that um, we're going to be here doing I Love Horizon. But I talked to Andrew before the service. Where are you at, Andrew? You in here? I know you were in the uh, last service. And we were... Uh, in the back room, and I just saw his face and the tears in his eyes. He said, I'm so excited for you to come to my school. He go, and it was just really cool to see him, you know, just on fire for what God is going to do at his school, and he was telling me some things about the school, and so we're really looking forward to it. I um, was leaning over to Pastor, and Pastor was talking about, you know, what we do in the schools, and I'm, I'm going to preach to you, but I, I'd like you guys to get that video, and I, I'll tell you why. Because a lot of folks don't know, they can legislate the name of Jesus out of the public schools, but they can't legislate his presence. I just wanted you to see Darwin, and here, here's what happened. They'd come down to Stockton, and because the where we live, 71 homicides, they have allowed us last year for the first time to do an assembly, like at Franklin High School, and they allowed when the bell rang at 208 for students to stay after if they'd like to hear. Not a night meeting, but stay on campus. They put us in the ROCT room, and students stayed after, and we get to share our testimonies. And the reason is, the crime has gotten so bad, they, they don't know what to do anymore. And so we're getting more phone calls from public schools than we ever have before. And so when people in the church are, well, they're taking our rights away, they're doing this and that, you know, watch this. Your good deeds produce goodwill, which produces an openness to the gospel. Your good deeds... They see us going in the schools. They know we're faithful to be that. Now it's produced goodwill where they're saying, Donnie, we want you. We want you. And I know there's a lot of pressure. And I know there's a lot of resistance out there because they even have a, some teachers that are trying to get me out of the schools. But you know what? I don't, I'm just like, we hate what you're doing in the schools. I'm like, yeah, get in line. It starts there and goes around the block. I'm not worried about, you know, that nonsense. But, but here is an inner city school. And I wanted you guys just to watch the face when Darwin goes over and sticks his hand out to that gang member, the kid has a hood on, that kid could have slapped his hand, that kid could have pulled back, but when that kid reached out his hand, there's a powerful thing that's transacting. So 
the reporter stayed for the second assembly. He goes, let me put some mics on you guys. You know, because usually they come out for a school assembly, do a cameo, and they leave. Channel 10, they were so moved that they stayed for both assemblies, and the reporter put mics on us and, and watched the reaction of the kids and listened to the reporter's voice when he's doing the story. Would you guys run that real quick? You guys stay here with me. Just stay here with me. Go ahead. High school kids have heard it many times before, a warning against getting involved in gangs and drugs. But this week in Stockton, students are getting that same message in a much different package. Tim Daly reports on the group known as Radical Reality and its radical approach. Bodybuilders breaking through bricks is how they break the ice. Then the serious stuff, being powerful enough to break bad habits. Hey, if people don't like you for who you are, that's their problem. But don't lower your individuality. Don't compromise your standards to get acceptance. They call themselves radical reality. They're ex-athletes asking kids to respect themselves, avoid gangs and drugs. Donnie Moore has delivered this message to high schools in 49 states, but says Stockton's current crime crisis makes it necessary to stay home this week. We tour the United States. I'm thinking, you know, we, we got to do more here. We got to make a difference here in our city, too. It's this team member who makes the difference. Why did my daughter have to die for me to get clean? His girlfriend was pregnant with twins years ago, but Darwin Benjamin didn't think of putting an end to their hard partying. He blames himself that one of the little girls was born severely ill and died within a few days. It cost me, man. It cost me a beautiful little girl. I can't walk over here and hold my little girl because she's dead and gone. But I could look at a young man like you and get down and shake your hand and say, dog, I believe in you. The tears are real, both from Darwin during the assembly and from kids after who share their thoughts and stories and experiences. I just want to make a difference because I know how much wrong I did. I'm just trying to make up what's right, trying to clean up what I messed up, <laughs> you know. Their actions are powerful. Clearly, their words are as well. In Stockton, Tim Daly, News 10. You know, um, the man from Radical Reality ahead, saying that they speak with You can cut it. The, the thing that I, I wanted you to see, you guys, because a lot of people don't realize that they are so open, the, the students. We are getting standing ovations for our talk on abstinence in the public schools. Standing ovations. This church supports us more financially every month than any church. Some $250 every month. We don't have a church that supports us that much. You guys are the number one. And, um, and, and, and Tiffany, your father. That, those are the two top churches that support us. And, and you guys, we have never taken a dime in 30 years from the public schools. So I just wanted to, that's what we see every week. And there is a hunger. Do you see those kids line up across the gym? When Darwin gets here tomorrow, I'm telling you, we get in those schools if we can, sneak a camera or get a phone. Because you guys need to see how these students are going to respond. It's going to be a blessing to you. Let me get to the message. The only thing between you and a good lunch is me. Uh, Mark chapter 4. I, I, I'm just going to get right into it because Stan's giving me that. You, you better hurry up because they're not going to come back at night. Look. By the way, he picked me up last night and I know that he wasn't off all his medication. No, I, no, no. There's no question. And for him to go through surgery, some 50 stitches, and even be here this morning is a miracle. I mean, really, 
I mean, I'm blown away that first he picked me up. And then after he picked me up, we couldn't find the car. <laughs> it was, I'm, you think I'm kidding? We went up and down, Roger, on the elevator, like lot five, lot, and we're look, walking through. I'm just, finally I stopped on level four and I said, listen, when you find it, come and get me. <laughs> True, so I'm standing there with my bags. And then after a while, I realized that he took my bag with my phone in it, so I couldn't even call him. I'm thinking he's heavily medicated, lost in the, and I don't know the airport. And so, and finally I was just like this, Stan, Stan, hey Stan. And a little old lady walked by with her bag. She goes, it'll be okay, son. I was like, I'm just, I'm just, and he pulls up, he's, hey Donnie. He's waving, I'm like, oh, thank you God. I didn't know I was going to, I was going to go to a, I didn't know who to call. I didn't have my phone. Mark chapter 4. Would you turn there? Mark chapter 4. The Bible says in Mark chapter 4 and verse 35, and if you don't have a Bible, I think we have the overhead. You can follow along. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And a ferocious storm came up. And the waves broke over the boat so it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified, and they asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Going right into chapter 5, this is a part of this story. Then after... They went across the lake, the Gadareans. Jesus got out of the boat. A man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot. He tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to do him. Night and day among the tombs and the hills, he would cry and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran, fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus was saying, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we're many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of the pigs were feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. By the way, that's where we get deviled ham. He gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. I, I want to speak to you this morning on the subject beyond the storm. Beyond the storm. There was a young man that came up to me in the first service. He said, are you going to do any feats? And I said, I, I'll rip a license plate. And so I, I got to rip this license plate and I'll get into my message. Tonight I'm going to do a couple of more feats of strength. And I also want you to know that tonight's message is one of the most important messages that God has given me. Now I'm not just saying that to get you to come, although I want you to come. But if you understand what I'm going to share tonight, you'll understand Christianity in a new way. The question that's asked by this generation is, who am I? 
And that's the wrong question. The question should be asked, who is God? Because, you see, when I turn away from myself and I look into the heart of God, there I see who I am. I find my significance, my value, my worth, and who I am. So I'm going to ask that you pretend that you've never read Luke 15, and the perspective that I'm going to talk out of that passage is from the Father's heart. And, and if you can understand Luke 15, it'll, it'll change your life. And I'm going to tell you why. Because when you see God, and, and, and by the way, when you ask that question, who is he? It's a dangerous question. Because that question, if answered properly, and you see who he really is, it'll change the way you think about God. And, and if you know somebody that used to go to church, Stan and I met uh, a precious young lady. We went and ate last night at Claim Jumpers, and this, this gal walked over to the table, and she just was looking at me. She said, are you Donnie Moore? I said, yes. She says, I went to your camps as a little girl. And um, anyway, Aaron's coming tonight. And Aaron hasn't been walking with God. And she admitted that last night. But, but I told her, I said, Aaron, if you come tonight, some of the questions that you have had, and she was talking about her relationship with her father, I said, are going to be answered. So Aaron's going to be here tonight. I want you to get on a phone. I don't want you to invite anybody. If you've got a daughter or a son that's presently not work, walking with God, if they hear this message tonight, it's going to really impact them. So tonight at 6 o'clock, like I said, I checked the TV. There's nothing on. Everything on television will lower your IQ at least three points. <laughs> and um, I, uh, <laughs> my daughter's first date, I walked out to the car, and I, <laughs> I seriously, I took this guy's license plate off. I tore it in half, and I handed it to him, both pieces, and I said, if she's not back by 11, what happened to this license plate is going to happen to you. And literally, it was the shortest date in history. She was back by 9.30. <laughs> took her a while to forgive me, too. So, In this passage, Mark primarily is emphasizing the actions of Christ opposed to the accounts of the Lord's teaching. The first part of chapter 4, he described the people were so anxious to hear Jesus, he had to get into a boat and use a podium, giving sufficient distance between the crowd to give everyone a chance to see and hear him. And he's taught several parables, such as the sower, the lamb, and the growth of the seed. But as the long day of ministry came to a close, Jesus was exhausted and wanted to rest. He instructed the disciples to push the boat further off shore and began a journey to the other side. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Let's go to the other side. Jesus gave them first a promise. He said, we're going to the other side. God gives promises. We want explanations. Explanations. We want to know the facts. We want them now. And, and that's how we live in this incredible technology age. I'm learning. I mean, I got my iPhone. I'm texting now. I mean, I threw away my flip phone about a year and a half ago. My kids laugh at me continually because I'm so even like Instagram now. I'm, I'm just trying to stay up a little bit. I wish the nerds would stop for at least a year inventing stuff because it just, it's so fast. And I like things simple. But at the same time, I mean, I, was, I went to McDonald's last week, and I, I was standing in line. You've been in a long line at anywhere. You're just like, you get to the front, and you're ready to make your order. You think about it through, and 
you know what you get. And we got up to the front of the line, and, and, and this guy in front of me is just looking at the menu. I'm thinking, McDonald's! They haven't changed the menu in 50 years. Pick a box. So you go to Kentucky Fried Chicken. It's chicken! Chicken! It's not complicated. But everything else seems to be. You go to a, you know, to a restaurant and they give you like a, you know, for the menu. It's like, a, it's a book. Hey, I'll go back to my room and read it tonight and I'll come back and order tomorrow. It's just, everything has gotten so complicated in, in some ways. And we live in a world that, that you can push a button and, and you Google. I, I told a story to my boy about when Archie Moore had fought in 1958, I believe it was in the month of December, he got knocked down seven times, he got up and he won the fight. My boy had pulled that up while I was telling him the story and shared with me who he was fighting that night. I mean, it's just amazing to me. And so sometimes we approach God with that same, hey, I want it now. I want the information now. Give it to me now. And I was doing a school there in Northern California, and I always meet with the principal for the school. And Mr. Nelson was a principal. His name, he walked in the back room. And this man had the hairiest eyebrows. Like, I have hairy eyebrows, okay? I don't even get them waxed or anything. I just trim them every once in a while. But this guy's eyebrows were, they were, you ever see someone's eyebrows? You want to trim them. I mean, it was so, he was, and he comes in the back room and I said, well, nice to meet you, Mr. Nelson. He goes, ah, he goes, I'm so glad you're here. And um, I said, how, how, how long for the assembly? I always try to find out how much time I have and what he wants me to talk about. Does he want to deal with gang, self-esteem, bullying? What, what, what does your school need? And he goes, well, we need a lot. You got five minutes for the whole assembly. I said, five minutes? He goes, ha, ha, I'm just kidding. I think I know. Okay. I didn't know how to take him. This guy loved these kids. He loved these kids. And he had been there a number of years. And so after the assembly, he grabs Darwin and I. He goes, come down to my office. So we go down to his office. And he's got, as soon as I walked in, I knew. He had three young men sitting there. The first guy's sitting there, and um, his hair is, I've never seen so many colors. And I'm, I'm not against dyeing your hair, but just like pick one or two colors. I mean, he, he had every color, and it, it didn't bother me. It, 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 I was just fascinated. And the next guy, he, his head was shaved, except he had a ponytail on the side of his head. And um, the last guy, he was sitting there, and he had like a, I remember a Vietnam jacket on, and he just staring straight ahead. And, and here's... Mr. Nelson, all right, you guys, I want you to know I care about you. You see these two red giants here standing behind me? They care too. And so he goes to the first kid. He said, um, how many times did you miss school? And, and, and the kid goes, five. And then Mr. Babby is the vice principal. I mean, he's, he's just seated behind his computer. And he goes, run it up on the computer, Mr. Babby. And Mr. Babby runs it up and he goes, you cut 10 times. He goes, 10 times? You didn't tell the truth. I like it when you tell the truth. You need to tell the truth. He says, Mr. Babby, he, he can look it up on the computer. And he goes to the next kid. He goes, how many times have you missed school? I'm like standing in the back. I'm like, Mr. Babby, tell the truth. He's gonna, he's 
going to catch you. And he lies. And then Mr. Babby runs it up on the computer. Finally, he comes to the last kid, and his name was Thompson. Thompson! Thompson! Your mother went to school here, Thompson. I knew your father. Your grandfather's a good friend of mine. I think I'm watching an episode on the Waltons. <laughs> like, I was like, Thompson, please, you tell the truth, Thompson. <laughs> Mr. Babby, he's gonna, he's got one button, he's gonna get you. So, so Thompson tells the truth, and, and then he goes like this. You know, you guys, Right now, Donnie's going to share something that's going to change your life. Go ahead, Donnie. <laughs> I got nothing. I, I, I'm serious. I'm kind of looking at the guys, and they're kind of looking at me, and I'm going, you guys, you were at the assembly today. You heard what we had to say. Darwin? <laughs> with, with, within three minutes, Darwin had all three of them crying. And these kids are crying, and I'm just, I'm amazed. I mean, Mr. Babby was, he was, and I looked at him, I said, hey, guys, can you come to the night meeting? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I can come. And then Thompson looks at me and goes, I can't. He goes, I'm grounded. And all of a sudden, his head, led by eyebrows, sticks around the corner, he goes, Thompson, I know your mom. I'll call her. I'll get you off restriction. You got to go to the night meeting to hear about Jesus. <laughs> I mean, it's the first time ever in doing assemblies for, at that time, over 20 years. I heard a principal say that he would call the kid's mom and get him off, you know, uh, his, his being grounded to come to a night meeting. But, but in that room, I, I was thinking about technology and, and even today, with, with everything so instant, we have a tendency to think God does it the same way. And, and it doesn't work like that. See, God gives promises. We want explanations. You can't live on an explanation, but you can live on a promise. He, he says, listen, you're going to go to the other side. Now, the sea says in what of a geographical cup, which means that sudden violent winds with little warning can come. And the, the wind dies down, the sea can rock for several days, making navigation and fishing extremely dangerous. And so when Mark described these veteran fishermen as being terrified, this is a life-threatening situation. The violence of the waves was filling and sinking the boat. And one of the most puzzling human experiences to recognize that the will of God sent these men out into what seemed like a life-threatening situation. The disciples are not bailing water because they were disobedient. Sometimes we have a tendency to say that people get into trouble because they've done something wrong. There are people in Scripture that faithfully walk with Jesus only to end up in prison, fiery furnaces, lions and shipwrecked, and even some martyred for their faith. But how do you relate to a sleeping Jesus? I mean, I, I don't ride in boats a lot, but I fly on airplanes. And, and there's something when that airplane is up there 30,000 feet and it starts hitting a few turbulence. And you, you ever been on an airplane when there's a storm? I was flying back to speak to Florida State, and, and they go, We're gonna have to do emergency landing. 
And I was like, where is he landing? What's going on? And the stewardess came back to the stand and she goes, we lost the right engine. I go, what? <laughs> I mean, they could have waited until we landed and tell us. That. Why tell you in there? And I'm sitting on the right side of the plane. <laughs> I'm praying, God, help. We got to land. So we did a mercy landing. And uh, Lake Walton, Florida, and... I'm in the airport. I, I gotta get to Florida State. I gotta speak to the Seminoles. I, I, I'm like, I gotta get there. Jimbo Fisher, he's counting on me. And so I go over and they were gonna charter a bus. Charter a bus? There's a fertilizer salesman. He said, I gotta get to my thing and, and I'm renting a car. And I said, can I go with you? I gotta ride. After losing an engine on a plane with a fertilizer salesman to Tallahassee. I stood up before Florida State. I said, listen, the plane engine went out. I got here with a fertilizer salesman. I'll put a helmet on and right now stick somebody in this room. And all the players are like, yeah, this guy's crazy. <laughs> I was so fired up when they take that Indian, Chief Otosawa, and, he, and they put him on the horse and, and they ride him out with the spear. I almost knocked that Indian off the horse and rode him out myself. I was so fired up. They got Renegade back there in the stall. I'm like, get me on Renegade. Because they come out with the spear and then they, he rides it around the 50 yard line. He takes it and, you know, I, I got a lot of Indian blood in me. I was like, and, and then he, it's on fire and then he looks at the opposing team and, boom, sinks it in the ground. And 84,000 people, ah, I'm like, yes. <laughs> My dad was half Cherokee. I'm like, it doesn't bother me a bit. I'm like, yes. I'm, I'm one of you. <laughs> so, where was I? <laughs> you can't even laugh. Your stitches are going to go. You're, don't laugh. Can't, if he laughs, you will go, like, stop, darling. It was amazing. He ate last night. I couldn't imagine. Every time he was eating, I was like, oh, that hurts. But he did. Then he said, don't say anything funny. Don't say anything funny. But I did, because I just wanted him to laugh anyway. And he was like, <laughs> he was laughing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Get him a towel in the front row right here. <laughs> what do you do? With the sleepy disciples knew Jesus was with them, but he didn't seem to be concerned about them. The Lord of the rocking boat was asleep and not even answering their cries for help. I don't know about you, but can you see the disciples? You got us out here in the storm, and now you go to sleep. <laughs> You're sleeping. Could you wake up and enjoy this storm with us? <laughs> Have you ever gone through something and you say, God, where are you in this? I'm in the middle of this storm, and, and, and it seems like you're sleeping. You're not answering my cries for help. Man, we're taking on water. Someone said adversity is another way to measure the greatness of individuals. I've never had a crisis, a problem that didn't make me stronger. When you encounter obstacles, you find out what you really believe. I mean, those storms. Storms will show you, number one, who Jesus is. Storms will show you who you are. And storms will show you who your real friends are. Yeah, so Every problem introduces a person to himself. 
turning an obstacle to your advantage is the first step toward victory. The breakfast of champions is not cereal, it's obstacles, it's problems, it's storms, it's difficulties. We all have them. So we got the promise, now we got the problem. You can write this down. Everybody has a problem, is a problem, or lives with a problem. <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't look at your husband right now. I said everybody has a problem, is a problem, or lives with a problem. How many know successes are for your pleasure, mistakes are for your learning? In the middle of difficulties in life, are, are we learning? You know, I tell young preachers all the time, preaching what you don't know is like coming back from where you haven't been. You, you got to have some experience in life. Because in life, when you go through some, see, you live life looking forward, but you understand life looking back. This is not a large ship, but a small one. They're, they're beyond small craft warnings. The Coast Guard would have never permitted them to go out in the storm. In the middle of the crisis, the problem, disciples have forgotten the promise. Let's go to the other side. Don't ever forget in the dark what God told you in the light. Because when you're in the middle of something, don't ever judge yourself in a storm. You'll say things in a storm you don't mean. You'll think things in a storm you don't mean to think. The kingdom of God is not in a crisis, although I may be. Don't ever forget in the dark what God told you in life. See, some people demise what they believe by what they're going through. It's easy to lose faith when circumstances howling around your head and screaming defeat at you. It's also easy for those safely removed from immediate danger to give you rosy advice about what you should do. Can I have a little water? This one? Oh, okay. Beautiful. It's easy for people to give you advice from a distance. I'm sure when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were being thrown in the fire, there was some believer that day saying, well, that fire doesn't look that hot. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Or someone always tries to compare their trial. You're like, man, I'm really going through this. Well, you should have saw what I went through. You're not going through nothing. I'll tell you what a trial, we're not trying to compare trials. Okay, you out trial me. Yours is greater. I'm sure that when Daniel was being thrown in the den, there was somebody there that day that said, you know, those lions don't look that hungry. But when you're in the den, trust me, they look hungry. We all have storms. In 2008, I was training for, and I was here when I preached on faith, and I shared with you my experience, and I won't share the whole story, but I remember across the counter getting some supplements that were laced with steroids, and I took them, and I couldn't sleep, and I was spinning, and the non-sleep led to depression, and I was just in a cycle spinning out. And I remember standing out in the weight room when my family was in the house and looking at them and saying, God, do you know where I live? Do you know what I'm going through? I hadn't preached in three months. I've never been depressed a day in my life. And here I'm going through this storm. Do you know my address? 
God, do you care? I don't know if you've ever felt like that, and, and, and maybe you haven't, but I have. And it's a feeling where you feel like quitting, you, you feel like giving up, and, and you're trying to trust God, and, and it's okay to doubt in your head, but in your heart you still believe. And these questions, you have a question mark for a brain, and you're struggling, and you're bailing water. And you're just caring about survival. Can't you hear them screaming above the pounding waves? Don't you care if we drowned? God, do you really care? And as suddenly as the storm arose, deliverance came. At the command of the Lord, the crisis ended. He rebuked the storm as a master would command a barking dog. He literally stood up in the middle of this storm and he said, Peace! Be still. In the Greek, literally, he said, be muzzled. To bring it to today's vernacular, he said, shut up. <laughs> he spoke to the wind, the waves. Can you see the disciples? They're like, whoa. He just spoke to the, <laughs> to the utter astonishment a veteran fisherman the wind quit blowing the waves laid down immediately there's no whimpering resistance from the elements no tossing for days peace came immediately it may seem the Lord has allowed the situation to get out of hand but once deliverance begins it's fast paced the storm has ceased the boat is no longer rocking the water is calm and they're looking at one another. Who is this? Who is this? Joseph spent 13 years in prison crying out to God who seemed not to care. But in one hour, he went from prisoner to prime minister. Moses, 40 years in the wilderness as a fugitive shepherd, a man of potential seemed to be washed up. But overnight, he was powerfully anointed as the greatest deliverer in history besides Jesus Christ. Israel, 400 years in Egypt, the last several living under extreme hostility. But they cried out to God for decades, and they didn't seem to get an answer. But once deliverance began, they came out in one night. The disciples got a glimpse of Jesus they'd never seen before. The teacher with abounding wisdom became their personal savior. Verse 41 said that in their terrified state, these Galileans experienced a reverential fear of God. Who is this? They went from looking into the eye of a storm to looking in the eye of a holy God. And that moment, they recognized who he was. You see, he's the provision. <laughs> There's no way to describe what the three Hebrew boys understood about God because of their experience in the fiery furnace. There's just some things you have to experience with God. Comfort and joy and sorrow. Peace, which is beyond understanding. Pastor Stan was telling me as they were cutting him open, he's, he's laying on the table having an experience with God. Unless you have been through something like this, you can't understand comfort and sorrow and peace. In the middle of a storm. Because Jesus is the provision. 
God got the credit for bringing them through the storm. There's no credit to their rowing ability. No one said, you know what? Peter, you're really strong. Man, if you wouldn't have been rowing, we, we couldn't have got out of the storm. You know, Thomas, you're a doubter, but nobody can bail water like you. Golly, man, you were bailing water. If you wouldn't have bailed, we couldn't have made it. And sometimes you get in situations, you're saying, the only way I'm coming out, God, is you bring me out. He used people. God uses medicine. He uses doctors, but he ultimately is the one that heals. The economy is not our provider. God is. He's the Lord of 1159. <laughs> That's one minute before midnight. That minute before midnight is the miracle minute. Trials. Went back to my room last night after dinner and I wrote down some things. Trials come for the purpose, not of injury. A weight is attached to a rope, not to break it, but to prove it. Pressure is applied to a boiler, not to burst it, but to certify its power of resistance. So faith grows stronger by exercising patience, even by enduring. You can't walk in footsteps of our master without feeling the weight of the cross. A little tension is necessary in life. Tension on the strings of a violin produces beautiful music. Too much tension breaks the strings. God knows how to tune us, to bring us into harmony in any particular situation. The disciples, they might have been puzzled at Jesus' general rebuke. How is it that you have such little faith? They hadn't picked up on the focus of Jesus' words. His attention wasn't on the storm. I've never seen this before. His attention was riveted on the other side of the sea. While the disciples were trying to deal with the storm, Jesus was thinking about someone that was waiting for them beyond the storm. Jesus had not invited these men for a pleasure cruise. He wanted them to accompany him to the other side where some desperate people waited. On the other side of the sea, there was a tormented, demon-possessed man running naked through the tombs. Terrorizing the country of the Gadareans. And Mark 5 said that no one could bind or control him. He ran naked, screaming through the caves and the tombs of the region. He had a split personality, one side desiring to fall at the feet of Jesus and ask for help, the other controlled by a legion of unclean spirits, driving him to suicide. No sooner than this band of seasick, storm tossed fishermen staggered upon the shore, trying to regain their land legs when the demon-possessed man came. And I propose that Jesus had this man on his mind when he commanded the disciples to go and launch the boat to the other side. He was... And he is the people-oriented Savior. He allowed the disciples to encounter the storm and fear for their lives because he wanted to destroy the work of the devil. Jesus' mind was not on the storm or his danger to their lives. His mind was on the demon-possessed man. See, Jesus didn't cross the Sea of Galilee on a stormy night to meet this man simply because he had an unclean spirit. No doubt there were others with unclean spirits on the shore where Jesus was. No, Jesus was led by this man because this man was in the tombs crying. Countless people all over this city are crying. Yeah. 
because they have become somebody they never wanted to be. The Bible says he was cutting in with stones. Many people today are cutting themselves in their own minds. Because the man or the woman that hates himself can't love another person. How can you give to another person what you can't give to yourself? When you start cutting and gnashing at yourself, you become preoccupied with self-hatred. And we treat other people out of our own reservoir of self-dignity and self-respect. That's why Matthew 19, 19 says, love thy neighbors thyself. If you don't love yourself, you're not going to have a genuine love for other people. That's why a man will tear up the furniture, he's drunk, and he will beat his children or even his wife because he hates who he's become. Kids today, they call them cutters. They cut themselves. And they hate who they are. I saw a young lady last week and I was in a store and she had a tattoo right here and it said, the person I've loved to hate. And I said, who is that? Is that you? She goes, no, it's someone that hurt me. I said, why would you give them that kind of control over you? That you would have that tattooed on your chest. She said, I never thought of that that, that way. The hate that's in our world. But Jesus, hmm, the dimension that he wanted to expose these disciples to, he was not going to allow the adverse conditions to hinder the deliverance of a desperate man. Someone was worshiping at the feet of Jesus and their right mind because the disciples came through the storm. Only those that have been through a storm have the compassion and power to be involved in the deliverance of others. Monday morning quarterbacks are impotent when faced with demon-possessed people. They might provide some nice advice, but true saviors are people that have been through something. When I was going through what I went through in 2008, Pastor Stan said to me one day, he said, people don't want to hear from somebody that hasn't been through something. They want to hear from somebody that's been through something that's come out on the other side. Don't talk an inch beyond your experience. Mark 5 said, not only did the demon-possessed man receive deliverance, but the whole region, ten cities, heard what Jesus had done through the personal testimony of this man. As the worship team comes and we close, Hebrews 12, 2 said that Jesus looked beyond the shame and suffering, humiliation of the cross, and saw the joy of those that would be saved by his blood. Someone in need was waiting beyond the cross, beyond his suffering. It was me. It was you. In Acts 4, 1 through 3, the apostles are jailed for preaching Jesus, out of that, 5,000 people were saved. In Acts 7, Stephen was unjustly stoned to death by the, and he was the first martyr of the church. Check this out. As he breathed his last breath, there stood Saul of Tarsus holding the coats of the executioners who would later, Paul, (laughs) 
become the greatest missionary theologian of the church. In Acts chapter 14, Paul himself was stoned for preaching the gospel in Lystra. It seemed senseless at first class, at first glance. But Lystra was the hometown of Timothy. It's very possible that Timothy was impacted and perhaps converted through the suffering of Paul. In Acts 16, Paul had a vision. Remember that, the Macedonian call? There was a man that called for him to come across into Europe and help them. When Paul arrived with his team, they found fellowship with a few women, and they delivered a demon-possessed young girl, and they were arrested. They were beaten. They were thrown into prison. Paul and Silas, there in prison, met who? The Philippian jailer and his family. I believe the jailer was the man in the vision. The spiritually hungry jailer and his family waited beyond the imprisonment of Paul and Silas. They had to go through a storm to find these needy people. The Philippian church had its roots from this experience. Whatever you might be experiencing may be a prelude to someone else getting help. Someone may be waiting for you to weather the storm of your current crisis. They're counting on you not to give up. They're relying on you to look to Jesus. Because you see, there is the promise. There is and always be problems. But three, Jesus is the provision. They're counting on you, not getting bitter in the middle of your storm. A family member, a friend, someone you don't even know right now. What you're experiencing may be sent by the devil, but God is going to use it to open the heart of somebody. We never see so clearly as we do through eyes that have been washed with tears. I was in a school in Baltimore in the inner city and there was an African-American young lady sitting in the front row and a Caucasian white girl sitting next to her blonde hair, blue eyes. And they both were crying as they heard Darwin's story. I was sitting on a brick and I looked at him as tears were running down her face. And I had this thought, tears have no color. Pain is pain. And we all have experienced it. The potter uses two things to mold our lives. Touching and turning. With every turn of the wheel, God is making me. And I don't like storms. When I was here before, I quoted two scriptures, and one was Genesis 9:28. It said, After the flood, Noah lived 400 years. The other is found in Job 42, and it said, After this, Job lived 140 years. After this, after devastation, after the most horrible storm imaginable, both Noah and Job had an after this. My storm was five years ago. It was hard when I went through it. But it changed me. This Christmas, my kids are saying, Brookie just turned 24, Anna's 21, and DJ just turned 17. And um, they made me like this basket 
And they had pictures. They had an album of different pictures they've accumulated of me with them. Then each one of them wrote me a letter. And Anna and I had butted heads, my, my uh, 21-year-old. And she said, Daddy, I can't believe how much you've changed in the last five years. Brooke wrote a poem. And it starts out, and it just says, you taught me to walk. You taught me how to swing a bat. And she just goes through things that only her and I have experienced. And I just, I just, I just wept. Because I've made mistakes as a dad. None of us are perfect. Sometimes too hard. Sometimes not very understanding. I remember Hannah, she ran away when she was nine just to get attention. And when she came home, I did what my dad would do. I spanked her. I should have never spanked her. I should have took her out to lunch and talked to her. I had that conversation with her as an 18-year-old, but she's 21. You know what's crazy? One went with YWAM for a while, the other went with YWAM, and they're out of the house. Brooke said, Daddy, I felt like I let you down because I'm not in full-time ministry, and I I told her a couple years ago, what's your heart, What's what's in there? And she said, I'd like to go to cosmetology school. And I said, go, I'll pay for it. And she's uh, in Sacramento at Paul Mitchell. And she's cutting my hair. She's living at home. Anna has come back from YWAM and she's in junior college in D17. I look at my family. In 2008, I was out of the pulpit for almost seven months. I went into a storm and God spoke to me. And it's the last thing he said to me. He said, when you come out of this, you're going to have twice the anointing on your life and your marriage is going to be twice as strong. And for almost eight months, I never heard God's voice. I wasn't in sin. I was going through the storm of my life. And I didn't understand it. And pastors tell me, Donnie, don't tell the part about where you're depressed or having suicidal thoughts. I said, are you kidding? I don't care what people think. I just want to help people. Beyond my storm. Now when I minister, I don't, Look for people to come up and say, that was a great message, man. I enjoyed, you're funny, you're... I just wanted to say, Donnie, you helped me. You helped me. God gives promises. He doesn't give explanations because you can't base your life on explanation. Explanations, they change. Abraham, take your son. Take him to Mount Moriah. Didn't you know that it's a three-day journey? He's grabbing sand. He's looking at the stars at night. All he had was a promise. He starts up a mountain. He's walking up a mountain. 
with his son to kill him. Obedience. Here it is. All he had when he was walking up that mountain was a promise. But he can't see it. But the answer's coming up the other side. Because when he got to the top, there was a ram in the thicket. But that ram didn't appear on the top of that mountain. That ram had to get, and I submit to you when he's walking up that mountain. And he's walking by faith, and he's got a promise. He's tired, he can't see. But the answer, it's coming up the other side. He gets to the top. It's 11.59. It's a minute before midnight. I got a promise. God gives promises. There will always be problems. But he will be the provision. <laughs>